guys could turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to wrap up Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. And then um, we're going to jump into the second letter there. I thought that was probably all the way over there. So thanks, Josh. And uh, so we'll finish it up tonight. We've been walking through this letter. And unlike most of Paul's letters, this one wasn't written out of anger or frustration or disappointment or concern. It was written out of a heart that was content and satisfied that the church was 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 doing what God had asked him to do and his encouragement to them was to keep it up, right? And so we've been walking through this idea as we've gone through it. I've really tried to focus on one word for every chapter. I, I really wanted to stick to the idea that there's one thought, right? We could spend a long time in each of these books, obviously, as you know, we could go through verse by verse and really study the intent of those verses. But we're trying to take a little bit of a higher view and get get at the concept of what's happening in these letters. And so, how many of you are baseball fans? Okay, not very many. How many of you are just sports fans in general? Or, and, and how many of you, in spite of your absolute hatred for sports, you know something about it? There we go. All right, we're finally on the same page. I knew we'd get there, right? So, I don't know if you know what this is, but... We've got a we've got a, a picture of the current baseball standings in the National League Central Division. Okay? And how many of you know who Joe's favorite team is? Right? The St. Louis Cardinals. So according to this, right, the Milwaukee Brewers, right, have won ninety-one games and lost sixty. The Cardinals have won eighty-one games and won sixty-nine. Or lost 69, right? And so they are, what's, what it says is they're nine and a half games behind first place, right? So if somebody was to say, hey, where are the Cardinals in the standings? The way that you would determine the Cardinals standings is you would compare their record, right? To everybody else's to figure out their standings. Does that make sense to everybody? Right? So the Cardinals are in second place. Let's ignore the Cubs. They've already won a World Series, all right? So there's, a, there's another one, and this is the one that Joe's focused on. This is called the wild card standings, right? So there are teams that win their divisions, and then because they want more revenue, they add two more playoff teams, right? So in the wild card standings, according to this, the Dodgers are the first team, and the Cardinals are the second team, and they are currently, they are currently four games ahead of the Reds, right? So Joe's hope is that they're going to hang on and make the playoffs and somehow win into the World Series, and I'm going to hate him even more, right? But, but that's, again, the way you know where the Cardinals stand in these Numbers is you compare them to the teams around them, right? Does that make everybody make sense? So then you can determine someone's standing. That's the word that kept coming to my mind as, well, it didn't keep coming to my mind. It took, it took days and days of, of reading and the Holy Spirit working to bring that word to my mind. That when I read chapter five, what finally clicked in my head was uh, with all of this information, it boils down to this. Where is my standing in regards to the topics that Paul wraps this letter up with, right? Where do I stand in regard to blank? Where do the Cardinals stand in regard to the wild card? Well, let's measure them against the other teams. Where do the Cardinals stand in regard to winning the division? Well, let's measure them against the other teams. Paul covers four areas tonight that you and I, that I hope... You will measure yourself against in regard to the topics that Paul wraps this letter up with. There's 28 verses in 1 Thessalonians 5, so we're not going to stand and read all of them because I'm on a time crunch and I'd rather talk than to hear you repeat scripture. Everybody okay with that? Okay, just trying to be honest with everybody, all right? So here's the first place. Here's the first one. Again, Big well, a big hello to everybody uh, online. We're so appreciative of you guys being a part of it. Again, version Bible app. If you don't have it, download it. 
just click on those three dots, find events, and click on Tomoka. The notes are always there. They're accessible and they are editable. So you can add your notes to them as well. Here's the first place that we're going to measure our standing. Where is our standing? Where is our standing regarding darkness? Regarding darkness. Listen to what Paul says in these first uh, 11 verses, right? Brothers, sisters, right? Children of God, about, listen, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you, right? Why? Why does Paul not need to write to a church about the times and the dates about the day of the Lord? Because why? Someone say it. No one knows, right? Matthew tells us, Jesus tells us, no one knows the hour or the day, not even the Son of Man. So he said, I don't have any need to write to you. For you know, listen, you know very well that the day of the Lord, right? The day of Jesus' return will come, right? That's what we talked about this weekend, right? Listen, this ain't going to last forever. This mess we're in, the stuff we're dealing with, the frustration that comes from it. Listen, Jesus, Jesus is coming back. Can I get an amen? And when he comes, when he comes, he wins, right? He's not losing now. Right? He's not losing because he's already triumphed. All we're doing is trying to get that message of triumph out to as many people as we can. We see this at times as a loss. It's in the loss to Jesus. That victory's already been won. Can I get, can I get another amen? So it says he's going to come, but he's going to come like, the, like a thief in the what? Thief. Even the night. And he goes on to say this, while people are saying peace and safety, right? The world around us, those people that aren't living in the, in the light, but are living in the dark. He said, they're going to say peace and safety. Destruction's going to come upon them suddenly, right? As labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they're not going to escape. And every woman in here says, <laughs> well, if I was a woman, I wouldn't say amen. <laughs> I'd, I'd be like, I'd be like, thank you, Eve. Right. You know? But you, brothers and sisters, listen to this, you're not, in, you're not in darkness so that the day of the Lord should surprise you like a thief, right? Why? Because we're all sons and daughters of the light and we're all sons and daughters of the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness, he says. So let's not be like those basically in the dark who are asleep, not dead, but, but, but disconnected. Numb, right? But let us be alert and self-control. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night, right? He's, he's using an analogy of, of being not sober, being not alert, right? In regard to drunkenness and sleep, right? But since we belong to the day, to the light, right? Jesus is the light of the world. We're the light of the world because Jesus lights in us. He says, we belong to the day. Let's do what? Let's be self-controlled. Let's put on faith and love as a breastplate that covers our heart. And let's put on the hope of salvation as our helmet. He goes on to say, for God didn't appoint us to suffer wrath when Jesus comes, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we're awake, right, alert or asleep, dead here, that's the Greek word here, right? We may live together with him. Everybody read this with me. Everybody online, here's what he says. Therefore, encourage one another and each other up just as in fact you are doing. Listen, what's your standing in regard to darkness? And here's what he uses as a test. One of the tests he uses is the coming of Jesus, right? Now, one of the sad things about talking about Jesus' return is it's just something that most churches don't feel the need to talk about. Unfortunately, especially in the Christian church world, right? Now, there are places within the church world, that's all they talk about, right? We're making predictions, right? We're talking about that, right? You know, we as humans can't get anything right, right? We're really way over here. We're way over here. We have no idea how to land in the middle, right? Jesus is coming back. Can I get an amen? We don't know when, right? Jesus doesn't even know when, right? But listen to what Jesus does say. Two passages I want to read to you. Matthew 24, 36. No one knows. Everybody say that with me. No one knows. 
So anybody that tries to tell you that they know is a what? Liar, false prophet, just ignore them. And if they want to talk about it and they say, I know, you're done talking, right? Because God's word and the son of God says, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, right? Nor the son, but only the father, right? There's some things that we as God's children just don't need to know. That's one of them. But listen to this in Matthew 16. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and they tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. They reply, or he replied, when evening comes, you say, it's going to be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today, it'll be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the signs or the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given to that generation except the sign of Jonah. And then Jesus left them and went away, right? Even though no one knows, there are things around us that can be interpreted, right? Now, we're not going to spend this sermon interpreting those signs. Because that's not what Paul's talking about in Thessalonians. It's not that it's not, it's not that it's not fun and it's not that it's not helpful. It's not that it's not necessary. It's just not the point of 1 Thessalonians 5. The first point, the, the point of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians is this. Where are you Christian in relationship to living in darkness? And the first way to test it is where do you stand in regard to the second coming? Right? Are you scared of it? Or are you hopeful of it? Right? Because listen, the coming of the day of the Lord should be nothing but a positive thing for you as a Christian. Right? Shouldn't be something that you're worried about, scared about, fretting about. Right? Because when he comes, we're done. All the anger, all the frustration, all the hurt, all the crying, all the funerals, right? All the breakups, all the divorces, all that nonsense, all those cuss words, all of those hurt feelings, all those stupid texts, all that stuff is gone, right? It's just gone, right? So whether he comes tonight or whether he comes tomorrow, this doesn't really matter, right? Because the question is this, where do we stand in regard to darkness? Because those who are living in darkness, they're going to be the ones who are taken aback by the coming of Jesus because he's coming like a thief in the night, right? Anybody ever had a thief break into their house at night? It's a terrible feeling, is it not? And when you, how about the, all of us have probably had this feeling when you think somebody's trying to break in, right? Anybody ever, everybody ever turn over in the bed and go, do you hear that? Right? Anybody? Right? Like, like, and then it's like, well, who's, unless you're married to Rambo, it's like, who's getting up? You go get up, right? I know some of you guys are, I know some of you women are married to Rambo and they're like, stay here, honey. I got this, right? Like, I get that, right? But if there's the thought that somebody's trying to break in at night, heart rate goes up, right? Get a little antsy, right? Some of you are way too excited. That's a whole nother counseling issue, Right? Right? But there's a, there's a little bit of, of fear involved in that, right? Somebody knocks on your door. Somebody comes to your house during the middle of the day. It's not the same feeling, is it? You're not like immediately, oh, grab the bat. They're trying to steal from us, right? But if it happens at 2 o'clock in the morning, right, there's a good possibility they're there for ill intent. So the reality is this. The second coming in this, in this passage is designed to get you to understand what's your perspective about it. Are you excited? Or are you nervous? Are you anxious and scared? Because children of the light, man, they should be excited, right? And the only reason, the only reason to delay your excitement about the coming of Jesus is because you feel the same way that God feels. I want nobody to perish and everybody come to repentance. Other than that, man, you should be excited. The problem is most Christians don't have any clue about Jesus' return because we don't talk about it. And when we do, it's stupid. We're talking about revelation and Mark the beast and all that stuff. Listen, you need to set in on my revelation class or Carrie's revelation class. So you'll stop talking nonsense about the coming of Jesus, right? 
Listen, there's a way. The Bible's clear. Listen, the Bible is not that confusing about the coming of Jesus. There's just not that many things to be confused about, right? There's a very clear path of what's going to take place, right? And if you're willing to go to the Bible open-minded, it's not going to be complicated to figure out. If you come with presuppositions of stuff you've been told in the past, it's going to be hard to find the truth about when Jesus is going to return. But in here, he simply says, I I got no reason to write to you about it. Why? Because you're children of the light. But here's the other thing he says in there. He tells us, right, in 1 Thessalonians 5, right, he talks to us, he talks to us about our behavior, right? He talks to us about our behavior and he says in verse 5, right, your All children of the light and children of the day, we don't belong to the night, right? Or belong to the darkness. So let's not be like the others who sleep, right? Let us be awake for those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night, right? Our behavior, right, should be identified by things that reflect light, right? Listen, if you're a son or daughter of Jesus... There are certain things that should accompany you, right? My dad did this sometimes to me. I think I've, I don't know if I've ever done it to my kids because I didn't like it when my dad did it to me, right? When I was growing up, I was a teenage boy, right? Didn't know the Lord, right? There were some things I did that my dad didn't like, right? And I think on a handful of times, my dad reminded me the son of William Bear doesn't act that way. Anybody else get told that? Well, I don't think my dad told you that, but did you ever, right? Did you ever, like, my dad had this thing, like, if you're my son, there are certain words you don't say, and there are certain things you don't do. And of course, when I heard that, I was like, well, apparently I do, right? Like, Like, that was my thing. But my dad wanted me to understand that a child of his was going to be identified by the things that mattered to his father. You may not say that to your kids, but I guess, and I would bet most of you watching online and most of you in here that have kids, want your kids to reflect that in their behavior. Yes or no? Right? I mean, there are things that if your kids did and your teacher, the teacher called and said, you're never going to guess what little Betty did. What'd she do? Well, she said, what? Right. And then we'd have a conversation, right. With your cute little daughter as to listen, honey, we don't say those words. Well, why don't we mom? Right. We watch that on TV. We hear it on TV, right? We've heard grandma say it. Grandpa say it. We've heard you say it. We've heard dad say it. We've heard, you know, our brother say it. We've heard it. We've heard it. We've heard it. We heard it. Why don't we say it? The reason we want to say is not to do it is because we don't want that to be the way our child behaves, right? We expect certain things out of our children based on our likes and dislikes. Listen, if one of my kids decided they were going to be a Green Bay Packers fan, I would kick them out of the family. I'm just going to be honest with you. If one of my kids liked the Packers or the Cardinals, I'd be done with them. Like, I'm out. Like, you didn't listen. You're a bad kid. I got no room for that, right? Like, if you're going to be my child, we're rooting for the Bears, and you're just going to expect a life of unhappiness. That's the way it's going to be, right? I don't care if you like baseball. Don't matter. But you're going to like the Bears. That's just the way it's going to be. So far... I'm, I'm, I'm batting okay, right? Like either my kids don't like sports or we're all in on the bears and the misery, right? It's that kind of thing. Here's what, here's what you need to know, right? How do you stand up against darkness? How do you measure against darkness as a Christian? And there's the only way to do it. Is your behavior reflective of a father who lives in the light or is your behavior reflective of a father who lives in the darkness? It's just not complicated, Right? And you, listen, whether you're watching online and sitting in Starbucks or you're watching in the comfort of your home or you're watching in here at the comfort of a nice seat and air conditioning, you know the answer to that question. Is your behavior, right? Is your behavior communicate to the people around you? Your standing in regard to darkness is, I want nothing to do with it. I'm out. Or does your behavior as a child of the light reflect, man, that person might be a little more interested in the darkness than his father is, Right? Where do you stand in relationship to darkness? Listen to Romans 12, or 13, 10 through 14. Love does no harm to its neighbor, right? Sin is the absence of love. You want to get down to what sin is, it's the absence of love. When there is no love, there's always sin. 
If, if love is present, there's always this. It does no harm to its neighbor. He goes on, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Right? You want to honor God by loving your neighbor. Because what does love do? Love removes sin. That's why Paul said love never fails. Right? He goes on to say this. And do this. Understand the present time. Right? Listen. Read the tea leaves around us, folks. Right? Things that are happening in the world today that are going on are a precursor to what's going to happen when the Antichrist shows up. Right? These things are signs of what's coming. Right? He says, understand the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up. Christians, wake up from our slumber. Right? Stop being numb and dull and blinded. Right? By the God of this age who blinds the minds and the hearts of people. Right? We need to be alert and awake. Not to fight people, but to tell them about Jesus. Right? Because he says, our salvation, our rescue is nearer now than we first believed. He goes on to say, the night's nearly over, right? Listen, this nonsense of living in this stupid, dark, backward, right is wrong and wrong is right. And girls are boys and boys are girls. It's, it's about over. Can somebody say amen? It's about, and he says, the day is almost here, right? So let's put aside, right? Here's the admonition. Like, all oh, that's great. But what's that mean? Put aside the deeds of the darkness. If the day's here, almost here, and night's almost over, then man, it's time to put away messing around in the deeds of the darkness. And if you're confused about what those are, we can help you, right? Put aside the deeds of the darkness and put on the armor of light. Dress like a soldier ready for spiritual battle, right? It doesn't require us putting on a, poli a political t-shirt about our political stance, right? It requires the armor of God to fight the fight. So he goes on to say, let's behave what? Listen, if Christians had behaved decently, we'd probably win 15 more percent people, right? I mean, I ran restaurants for years. I had the hardest time getting crews to work on Sunday. Why? Because my staff hated waiting on Christian people because they were the most rude and they were the cheapest. What a terrible illustration for Jesus Christ, right? Behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness. Listen, I spend a lot of time outside at night because I'm a weirdo. Okay. Like I, listen, I like, I like seeing the world when it's dark. There's an eeriness to it. There's an unsettled pace of life in at night, right? There's something about it that I, that I find interesting and a little bit unsettling. You don't feel that way in the middle of the day, right? Like, my sister lives in St. Louis, and she lives right next to the hood, man. And she will tell me, listen, you do not go out of our, our community after, su after sundown. Yeah, right. Like, I, I'm going to listen to that. But I can tell you, having driven around, driven, around, driven around our neighborhood during the day versus night, huge difference between the two, right? Like, there's just a different feeling. So he says, can you back that verse back up, Mike, real quick? So behave decently, what? As in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, right? Not in sexual immorality and debauchery and in dissension and in jealousy, right? Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Man, I'm ready for this to be over. I'm ready to get out of the darkness. I'm ready and sick and tired of living in a world where people blinded by the God of this age try to tell me what's right. I am sick and tired of that. I want to live in the day. I want the arm of the Lord. And I want the justice of the Lord to prevail in our world today. But here's what he said. Where are you standing in regard to darkness? Sure, you want it to be over, but where do you stand in regards to it? Do you look like it or do you not look like it? And if you look like it, stop looking like it. Stop doing the things that make you look like you're a son of the darkness, right? Look and act like a son and a daughter of Jesus. Can I get an amen? I beat that one to death. Let's move on. Here's another one. Our standing, our standing regarding leaders. Leaders. Listen to what Paul says. He says, now we ask you, brothers... To respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work. That's important, right? Let me read that again. Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their what? Their work. Live in peace with each other. So I've got a dear, dear friend. 
probably, you know, it sounds stupid when a 57-year-old man says it, but he's my best friend, right? We talk on a regular basis. God called him into ministry. He went, and then he quit, and then he stayed on the outskirts of ministry doing worship, uh, worship uh, leading and some supply preaching, but it wasn't what God called him to. God called him to be in full-time ministry. Finally, 17 years later, he finally surrendered, and he is now serving full-time as a full-time senior pastor in a church in central Illinois of about 250 people, right? He was not prepared for the lack of support that came his way as the lead pastor of that church. It's been the most, it's been the most difficult thing for him to overcome, right? They have a building. One, listen, it's a good church, right? But Jason is... Um, He's an ex-Navy man who loves rock and roll music, Harley Davidson guitars, and has tattoos up and down his sleeve, up down his arms. And right, he's a if they're a mess, let's go get him kind of guy. They interviewed him, took a year in the interview process, and said, "You're the guy that we know that God wants to bring here to change our church and reach a different kind of people." And then he showed up, and he began to make changes. So they have a church. It's probably the size of one of our sections. And in the back of the church, it's all chairs, right? It's all chairs. And in the back of the church, there's like four pews that are just left in the back for people to sit in. Well, they had to take everything out for their VBS. And when they got ready to put everything back, Jason said, listen, take the pews out. Just put chairs back there and let's move on, right? They showed up on Sunday. And you would have thought... He burnt the church down. He said at the end of the service, he had a guy walk up to him and look him dead in the eye. Now, this is, their, this is the lead pastor that God has called to this church to serve, right, as the shepherd. Appointed by God that the, that the men of that church sought and prayed over Right? That God led them to him and his call to work, right, and serve in there. And a guy came up to him after the church and pointed a finger in his chest and he said, You put those pews back in our church right now. He said, Those are our pews, not yours. He said, They're our heritage and not yours. He said, You put those pews back in here. Now, to my friend's ever loving credit, he got rid of the pews. So there's no pews to put back in the church. I tried to tell him to do what Joe did and just dig a hole and bury him in it, you know. Like, like we did a piano years ago when people were mad because we wanted, to, we wanted to get rid of the piano and organ off the stage. And people flipped out about the piano and organ. And Joe just called a buddy and got an excavator and dug a hole in the parking lot at Tomoka Christian on Granada. Buried him and moved on. Right? That's exactly what happened. One Sunday it was there and the next Sunday it was gone. And people asked what happened. And he said, I buried him in the ground. Conversation over, right? That's why people love Joe and why people hate him, right? Like, but, but you know what? It solved the stupid problem. Listen, one of the biggest problems that, that, listen, I just don't get it. I don't understand. Uh, listen, the people that, that God calls to be in positions of leadership in church are not perfect. They're some of the biggest dummies in the entire world sometimes. And their stupidity gets played across TV screens all over the world, right? Whether it's, you just name it, you just name a pastor who's been in the limelight who's fallen. But do you know how many other thousands of guys there are that serve and women that serve that never, ever, ever go through that failure? Listen, if we ever want a chance to defeat the enemy, we got to quit worrying about picking the right president. And start worrying about be, about being the right person. We got to start worrying about being the right kind of Christian. And one of the right kind of Christians is to make sure that we don't we don't pick fights against against the leadership of the church, right? Part of the responsibility of being in this mechanism, this 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 community, is to honor the things that God honors, and God honors leaders, right? God honors the elders. Listen, they're not infallible, right? These people are human and flawed, right? They make dumb decisions. And God knows as a guy who's been in ministry for 30 plus years, you could do better, right? I know that, right? But God calls and people listen. God called Moses. I mean, the dude was a stutterer. 
Had a ta- God called Moses to lead the people of Israel. And there was over two million people and Moses couldn't speak in public. What a dumb choice, right? It was crazy. And Korah said to people, who's Moses? I'm sick of listening to Moses, right? I'm tired of listening to his sister Miriam. Get him out, right? And God went, <coughs> opens up the earth and swallows Korah and his entire group. Right? Listen, you start messing around with God's anointed, you're going to have a hard time. Listen, all I want to remind you is this. All Paul said is, listen, encourage and support your leaders. Right? We're not enemies. Right? We are not enemies. We are in this together. Our job is to get people home safe. That's our job. We don't have to get them there because you and I agree about what kind of music and whether pews or chairs or whether services at an hour or, or court can preach until you fall out of a window. We don't have to agree about that, right? We should, but we don't, right? Like, we don't have to, right? Our goal is to get people home. And here's one of the ways we let the devil win. We fight. We fight against leaders, right? Listen, don't ever put a leader on a pedestal. That's not what he's saying. Don't honor a leader because they're hired to work in your church. Honor the leader based upon the work they do with you in the Lord. That's it. If we have a pastor that doesn't work and doesn't work among you, we do not expect you to honor that person. As a matter of fact, we're probably going to fire that person. We want people who shepherd sheep by getting dirty and loving the smell of being with sheep. That's the people you should honor based upon their work over you and the Lord. Does that make sense to you? So where's your standing? How do you measure up in being supportive of your leaders? And I'm talking about this. Listen, I'm going to take a second here, right? I'm talking about this. I'm talking about the emails and the conversations and the texts that go on within the confines of every church. Can you believe? Can you believe what they said? Can you believe what they did? Can you believe that stupid decision? Listen, you can feel that way all day you want because you know what? I felt that way here. But when you start telling it to other people, that's the mistake we make. Right? Because the minute your conversation starts poisoning the ears of a person next to you, all of a sudden we've invited Satan into a conversation. Because all of a sudden now we're being divisive. Listen, you got a problem with a leader, you know what you should do? Go have a conversation with a what? The leader. Let's stop. Let's just stop giving Satan the ability to be involved in our stuff. Right? We gotta stop and get him out of here. I don't expect you to agree with every decision stupid men make. Like, come on, man. But I do expect you to knock on an office door and say, hey, can we have a conversation? Awesome. Right? Let's make sure that the devil doesn't have a place in our standing with leaders. Here's the third one. All right, let me read you Hebrews 3 real quick. Two verses. Hebrews 3, 7 through 17. I got to pick up the pace. Hebrews 3. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, did I pick the wrong verse? Yeah, forget that verse. Go to Hebrews 3.17. Why am I getting... uh, It was Hebrews 13. I'm sorry, Mike. Hebrews... Mike's back there going, I need a better job, right? He's... Mike's Mike's back there trying to support the leader who works over him, right? Like, Mike, that doesn't apply to you tonight. You got to free. You got to free. Mike is amazing, right? He in He... In Hebrews 13, right... I always go through this and I'm like, don't write the wrong verse down, right? Hebrews 13, 17. Everybody thank Mike for his amazing, right? Oh, what's this? Obey. Everybody read with me. Obey your leaders and to their authority. Stop. There's no but here or except. You see that? He just says it. They keep watch over you as men who must give a what? An account. To who? Right here. Right? Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to who? Listen, the thing that breaks my heart for my friend, and, and I, listen, I can tell you this. The, I, I am, 
I'm working on a dozen years here. It is a joy to serve at Tomoka. It is an absolute joy to serve at Tomoka. No, no, nowhere have I ever been that I have not felt supported and not felt that my work wasn't a joy, but not, not any place has come close to the way you guys do pastors at Tomoka. But there's more than just pastors who are leaders, right? There's more, right? The thing that breaks my heart for my buddy is that being in the ministry, he's having a hard time finding a joy, right? Because there's so much animosity and so much lack of support. So if you get a chance, just pray for my friend, Jason, and just ask God to remove that spirit of, 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 of animosity between the church and him. I, I would appreciate that. But here's the third one. Our standing regarding, our standing regarding everyone else. Listen to these verses. You know, the first two were hard. How about this one? We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, right? Who are troublemakers, busybodies, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays. The Bible's not good. You know, you go to counseling and they say, never use the words, always, forever, ever. Right? Bible doesn't play that game. Right? Be patient with who? Everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. What's your relationship? Where do you stand in regard to everyone else? Does those, do those monikers describe you? Helping the timid, right? Helping the weak, right? Making sure that we're patient with everyone. We'd never repay evil for evil, right? This is what Romans says in Romans 14, 1. Paul writes it this way in verses 1 through 4. Accept him whose faith is weak. Surely you're all aware that in this room and with everybody who's watching online and with me and with everybody else, that there's a difference between where we're at in our faith journey. Yes or no? Right? Some of you, some of us are kindergartners in our faith and some of us are third graders and some of us have failed junior high three times and some of us are in high school, right? We all have different levels. We all understand that, right? Here's what he said. Accept him or her whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. There are some things this book does not settle. Right? There are just some things that this book doesn't settle. You and I get to make a decision about that. Right? Guess what? If somebody doesn't disagree with you and you think they're wrong, the Bible says you should see them as a person with a weaker faith. And you know what you do? You just accept them. You don't go... You're, you're stupid and you're wrong. You need to read your Bible, right? Like, no, 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 no. Accept it. Look what he says. One's math faith. Here's a very specific example. One man's faith allows him to eat everything. So basically there were these temples. They would bring these animals. They would sacrifice, cut up these animals. And then they would sacrifice some of the meat to these false gods. And then they would sell it, right? These temples would also have a, a business because they knew they had to have money to keep it going. So they'd sell some of that meat to the public and Christian people were like, Oh, you can't ever buy meat down at the market where they're sacrificing meat to the prophetess or the, 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 the goddess who's the, who's the goddess of prostitution. You bought that meat where we can't eat that. We're Christian people, right? That's what was happening. Here's what Paul said. Somebody's faith doesn't care about that. It's just meat people, right? Where'd you get it? Well, I got it down at the temple. You mean a temple where they offer sacrifices to the goddess Diana, right? The sex goddess? Yeah, that's where I got it. It was on sale, right? Right? And here's what he said. There are some people who are like, that ain't a big deal because it's just what? It's just me. He says, but another man whose faith might be weaker eats only vegetables because I ain't eating it. Like, if you want to cook it, that's fine, but I'm not touching it. Like, give me a turnip and a Brussels sprout because that's what I'm eating because I'm a Christian, Right? Your faith allows you that freedom. Their faith hasn't gotten there yet. So instead of judging those people, we should what? Accept them. Accept them. Do you know how many people would stay in the church if we would accept their weakness in faith? 
Do you know what people have left? Because you have an earring, a tattoo, you're wearing jeans with holes in, your hair's that long, right? We've, we've done, how many people have left church because that's the stupid stuff we've done? You listen to what kind of music on the way to church? I thought you were a Christian. You mean you drink Michelob Ultra and not Bud? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Sorry. Wrong church. (laughs) Anywho, right? You get the point, right? Do you know how many people would have stayed in this church had we gotten better at that? Do you know how many students and college kids would stay if we got better at that? A lot more than we have now. Right? So he goes on to say, is there another verse there? Verse 4. The man who eats, who are, who are you to judge someone else's servant? Man, I love that verse. You know what that means? You're not the master. Right? The person who went, you should never, ever, 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 ever eat that meat. They're whose servant? The person who says, it's just meat, people, relax. It's whose servant? If you or I judge another servant, we're playing the role of what? See how that works? Man, Satan's a smart enemy, isn't he? Because all Satan wants is to be what? He just wants to be God. And he's totally okay if you step in for him. So he says, don't judge someone else's servant. Don't pretend to be their master or their God. To his own master, that person stands or falls, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Right? How about this? He goes on in the chapter in verse 13. He says this, therefore, let's stop passing judgment on one another. We'd have a lot, listen, our church would be a lot more full if we'd stop passing judgment on people over stupid issues. Right? There are just very few issues in Scripture. There are some that just don't require your opinion and my opinion at all. It just doesn't. Because you know what it is? It's just a matter of somebody's faith. Listen, when I was a when I was a senior in high school, I loved Jesus. I accepted him. I confessed with my heart. I confessed with my mouth and believed with my heart. I was baptized. But you know what? I still love listening to Boston when I drove to drove to, to to high school. Because Christian music stunk. I wasn't going to be a Bill Gaither fan. Right? I was never going to get into Amy Grant, right? Like I just wasn't going to do it. But I was going to listen to Led Zeppelin. Right? And I was gonna, I was gonna listen to Fog Hat. Right? I was gonna take a slow ride. Right? And take it easy. Right? Like, I love that stuff. Right? But, today at 57, I don't listen to that stuff. I don't listen to that stuff. I listen to worship music. Alright? I listen to Chris Tomlin. I listen to, you know, I listen to, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a great job, right? Like, I listen to Christian music, I can name one person, right? I listen to Amy Grant, right? Like, but I listen to Christian music now, right? Because guess what? My faith has just grown from being weak to being this. But when I was struggling as a brand new Christian of weakness and somebody went, you listen to what? I thought you were a Christian. So all of a sudden, you're my God. I was mistaken. My bad. Right? We've got to stop that. We gotta stop that, right? He goes on to say this in verse 19 of Romans, of Romans uh, 14 there, right? Therefore, make every effort to do what leads to what? Peace and mutual edification. Mutual edification, right? Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food, for any of these disputable matters, right? All food's clean, right? But it's wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble, right? So what? You think the meat at the, at the temple is okay to eat. Oh, Billy Bob down there that's been a Christian for three days thinks it's a gross sin, so you should never eat it. It's just that simple, right? So what in your life is a disputable matter that you're willing to give up for somebody else's edification? If we started doing stuff like that, our churches would be a lot more full, Right? And he says it's better not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fail. Right? That, it's, it's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fail. And then there's another verse here in Romans 15, 1 through 4. We who are strong ought to bear with the feelings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Because love considers others more important than themselves. 
Each of us should please his neighbor for the neighbor's good and to build them up, right? For even Christ didn't please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that though that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope, right? Listen, where's your standing in regard to everybody else? Like, I'm going to be honest with you. The older I get, the more introverted I get, the less I like people. Like, I just don't. Like, if it was up to me, I'd spend most of my day alone, away from people. You know, I'd watch them on a TV screen, and that'd be as close as I want to get to them, right? Which is a, which is a, which is, I know is a dumb thing for a pastor to say, but that's just my natural flesh. Like, I can feel my dad coming out in me, right? So I have to fight that, right? I have to, I have to allow the spirit to fight that in me, right? But as Christian people, we have a responsibility to keep those who are weak connected to faith, period. And we can't keep doing that if our standing with people is that we won't bear with them, we won't be patient with them, we won't help the weak, we won't help the timid, and we won't start arguing with them about that stuff, right? Where is your, where is your standing in regard to other people? And here's the last one. The last one is this, our standing regarding sanctification, right? The, the actual spiritual, the actual spiritual component being set apart. Right? I'm just going to read those first few verses of First Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. Everybody read it with me. Be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said this, right? Charles Spurgeon said, when joy... I love this. When joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude. Listen, it is an oxymoron to be a Christian and be a person that isn't grateful and thankful. The most obvious sign of being a Christian is to have gratitude. You know, when the lepers, when the lepers went to Jesus, right? And Jesus went, go your way, you've been healed. Ten of them left because they had to go to the priest to get cleared. And all they were concerned about was going to the priest and getting cleared so they could get back to their lives. All of them had been healed. One of them turned and said, thank you. And Jesus said, go your way. Your faith saved you. It didn't heal him. It saved him. The number one mark of Christianity in my mind is gratitude. Because if you truly get what God's done for you. How could you be anything but grateful? And yet, throw a rock. You can find a Christian that has a terrible attitude about gratitude. It just doesn't take much. How, how, how do we ever expect to get people to buy when we sell it that way? Right? Joyful always. Galatians, Philippians 4.4, 4, right? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Right? Those are annoying verses, are they not? Like, am I the only person that's annoyed by those kind of things? Rejoice in the Lord. Do you feel guilty about that? Like, is that really your life that you rejoice in the Lord always? Yes or no? Nobody over here answered. Nobody. Right? Two people nodded and three people grunted. Right? And people online probably clicked off. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. That annoys me. How about this one? Pray continually. How many of you pray continually? Well, what does continually mean? Right? Just walking to work. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Bam, walking into stuff. What are we doing? Right? Like, what does praying continually look like? Right? What's it mean to, to pray continually? Right? And be thankful. Right? Be thankful in everything. Right? Listen to what Colossians 4.2 says. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, and what? Thankful. I can, I can guarantee you, if, you're, if your attitude about gratitude stinks, you're not praying enough. Guarantee it. Right? Guarantee it. Because he says, if you devote yourselves to prayer, you'll be watchful and thankful. Right? And then this one, 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. Right, because this is the the question is this: Where do you stand in regard to God's sanctification? And listen, God's sanctification isn't married by, measured by going on a mission trip or sitting in a Bible study or knowing all sixty six books of the Bible. The sanctification of God is about allowing the Spirit to work within you 
And he says that, don't, don't quench the spirit. You want to know how sanctified you are? It's clear. How much room do you give the spirit to work inside of you? And you know how you notice? How's my joy meter? Am I joyful in all things? Do I rejoice in the Lord always? Am I constantly in prayer? And am I grateful in all circumstances? I'm not grateful for every circumstance. I'm just grateful in all circumstances. And so Timothy, Paul says this, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days, right? Like we feel like we're living in terrible times, yes or no? And if we're not in them, we're working toward them, right? People will be lovers of the number one thing that, that people do in the world today is take what? Selfies. They'll be lovers of selves. Like, is it not the dumbest thing in the world? I know I'm late, but is it not the dumbest thing in the world that, that the majority of pictures on people's phones are selfies? I mean, does that not scare you? The degeneration we're raising, the most important picture they take is the picture of themselves. I've got photo albums, tons of them. And you know what? I am never the most important thing in a picture. I look at it to see my kids and to see all of that stuff, right? But we're raising a generation that the only photos they really care about are the ones they take of. People are going to end up being lovers of themselves and they're going to be lovers of money and they're going to be boastful and they're going to be proud and they're going to be abusive and they're going to be disobedient to their parents. Can I get a amen, right? They're going to be ungrateful and they're going to be unholy and they're going to be without love and they're going to be unforgiving and they're going to be slanderous without self-control, brutals and not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And they've got a form of godliness, but they deny its power and they have 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 what? Have nothing to do with them, right? Have nothing to do with them. Listen, we're coming to a point, we're coming to a point in time where the world's going to need more light than it's ever needed before. And the question is this, where are you and I, where is our standing in regard to that darkness? And you can, you can measure it. How do I feel about the second coming of Jesus? Where is my standing or are the leaders of the church? Where is my standing in regard to everybody else around me? And where is my standing in regard to sanctification and the Holy Spirit? Listen, the world needs, the world needs the people of God now more than ever. Right? We can, we can sit and wag our fingers and we can complain and we can write letters and we can do whatever. It's not the point. This thing is going to come to an end. This mess is going to end and God will prevail. The question is, are we going to take you? Are we going to take your child? Are we going to take your family? Are we going to take your friends? Are we going to take your co-workers? Because you were a great light to the people who walked in darkness. Where's your standing in regard to that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for... You know, I, I, we don't know any of these people that went to that church, God, but I'm grateful for them. They heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, and they lived the gospel. And they did it in times, <laughs> they, lived it, they, they, they did it in times where the Roman Empire was, was brutal, ruled with an iron fist and treated people with no reverence of life and, and no value and marginalized them constantly for their own selfish benefit. And I know, I can't imagine that when they read these words, they didn't think that the end times were happening in their day. I know we certainly feel that here. We feel it within our community. I pray all that it does, God, is remind us to live like children of the light. Awaken us, God, to what's going on around us. Set us on fire so we no longer quench the spirit, but we walk in that spirit, God, and use us. Use us to spread the hope that's found only in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. God bless you, church.